Acts chapter 22. We're moving right along. We're getting close to the end, y'all. Really close to the end. 31, 22 chapters in 31 weeks. We're pressing through to the finish line. Come on. I'm excited. I'm like, I'm already asking, Lord, where are we going next? <laughs> How many of you remember in the old days, and I'm going to bring you back to the school. For some of you, this is going to be schoolyard stuff, okay? So you're going to have to, like, stir your memory up for a minute. How many of you remember back in the day when, like, when I was a kid or maybe you were a kid, if you had some beef with somebody at school, what would you do? You'd take it to the playground, right? I mean, all the beef happened on the playground. You'd have some beef in class with somebody, and they'd say, oh, I'm going to beat you up. you say, oh, yeah, meet me on the playground. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody got a fight at school? Come on. Y'all all wasn't born that good. Come on. Some of the ladies are like, <laughs> I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> but, man, you'd, you'd call them out to the carpet, right? You'd call them out to the playground. You'd say, come on, we're going to the playground. And what would happen when you get to the playground? Everybody would be like, they'd make a crowd around you, right? And they'd be like, oh, are they really going to fight? Are they not going to fight? What's going to happen? And then typically one or two things would happen. Either you'd put a rock on somebody's shoulder. I'm dating myself. You'd put a rock on somebody's shoulder and, or you'd put a rock on your shoulder and you'd say, knock it off. Knock it off and we're going to fight. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, shake your head or something, because I feel like I'm talking to a bunch of teenagers. I, well, we'll just learn something then. <laughs> but, but the most common one was to, to, to take your foot and draw a line in the sand and back up and say, cross that line, sucker, in his own. Right? And then what would happen? You'd be sitting on this side going, oh, God, don't cross that line. Please don't cross that line. I want to look brave, but I don't want to be brave. And the other person is going, do I cross the line? Do I not cross the line? Right? And then what happens? Somebody crosses the line, and then something happens. Today I want to talk to you about lines in the sand. But I don't want to talk to you about fist fighting. I want to talk to you about some lines in the sand. Today I want to show you how Jesus drew a line in the sand for Paul. And it wasn't to provoke him into a fight, but it was more to provoke him into life. And I believe that Jesus still draws lines in the sand for us today. I'll give you one of my recent lines in the sand. A few years ago, uh, the Lord dealt with me about my preaching. He, he was, uh, it was a quiet time I had one morning, and, and he said, this is what he said to me. He said, are you going to keep preaching what's popular, or are you going to preach what's purposed? And I went, oh, bruh, we got to go there. I started ministry bivocational, so I didn't have time to write a message. So I would take a message from Pastor Josh or Pastor Bubba, and I would bring it over here, and I would preach it over here. And it was, it was working fine. It was all truth. It was a good message. But it wasn't what exactly was purposed for us in the time. And, and, and I think God allowed me to do that for a little while, but he finally had enough. and said, okay, you're going to start preaching what I tell you to preach? And so he drew a line in the sand, and he said, here you go. What you going to do? You're going gonna to preach what I preach? You're going to preach what I purpose for you to preach, or you're going to preach what's popular? And I went, ah, oh, bro. So I'm looking at the line in the sand, and I'm going, I don't know what's over there. Like, this is 52 weeks in a year, Lord. Like, that's 52 messages I have to write myself. Like, 52 times I got to hear you for these people that show up to hear something from you. And like... Do you know what you're asking me to do? 
I'm not comfortable over there. I'm comfortable here. I'm, not, I'm satisfied here. This is familiar for me here. I don't know what's over there. I don't even know if I can do that. Like, I never took a class on writing a message. And so, Sorry. <laughs> but, but I was faced with a decision. I was faced with something that God said, okay, I want you on this side. My plans for you are on this side, not that side. And so I had to step out. And I stepped across by faith, knees shaking. The first Sunday, I was nervous as all get out. But I had a choice to make. Was I going to trust God or was I going to stay comfortable? So I want to show you today in Acts chapter 22 where Paul finds himself getting into trouble. Uh, he's, he's coming back to Jerusalem last week. If you heard last week's message, um, Paul, Paul was, was on his way to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit had told him in city after city that he was to go to Jerusalem and that jail and suffering were waiting for him. And so he knew what he was headed towards. He knew his time in Asia was up. So he's heading to Jerusalem. And even some of the believers along the way tried to use their spiritual gift of prophecy to convince Paul not to go. And so Paul had to be a man that remained on mission no matter what was going on around him. And so he did. He stayed the course. He ends up in Jerusalem, and he finds out when he gets to Jerusalem that the Jews don't like him very much. They don't like him. They think that Paul has turned totally against them and their traditions and their laws and they believe that he's become way too friendly with the Gentiles. And so they got it out for Paul. And all the believers in, in Jerusalem at the time knew it. And so when Paul came, they said, Paul, listen, you're going to have to do something to prove yourself to these Jews that you're just not dead set against them. And so Paul did. He, they, they made plans for him to go and uh, during this ceremony uh, in the temple to cleanse some, some folks. And, 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 and the crowds came out and what Paul thought was going to bring peace and unity between him and the Jewish leaders actually turned into something very ugly. How many of you ever run into something and you didn't think you were going to run into it like that? Maybe you walked in the house and you were like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> they rose up against him and they wanted to take his life. So Paul was arrested. And after a violent confrontation, he gets a chance to speak to the crowd. And there's just an interesting note here that I want you to grab a hold of today. Paul uses their language to speak to them, and it gets their attention. In fact, the crowd's shouting and hollering and, and all these things like, kill him, kill him. He's useless. Kill him. He's turned against us. Kill him. This whole crowd's just shouting, and nobody can talk. And Paul gets a chance to talk, and he speaks to them in their language. Communication's a big deal, right? This is just a little sidebar. You might want to write this on the side. Communication's a, a big deal. If you don't get communication right, you usually don't get anything right, right? So you're going to have to learn how to speak somebody else's language. Come on, married people. This is gold right here. You better learn how to speak her language, bruh. What you mean? That's what I mean. <laughs> so Paul spoke their language. It was, um, it was Aramaic. And, and they listened. The crowd got real silent. So let's pick the story up in, in chapter 22, verse 6. 
As I was on the road, Paul, so, so what's happened is, is Paul gets a chance to speak and he's starting to tell them what's going on with him. He's trying to settle their difference. He's telling them his story. He, he, he gets a chance to speak and he's saying, listen, what you need to understand is that I've, you need to understand where I've come from, what I've been doing, and where I'm headed. So he starts to share the story of when he was converted. Verse 6, I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon. A very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. That's interesting. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up. Go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. Now, this is a big deal. Paul's telling his story to the crowd that's wanting to kill him. And so I want you to see today the, the tension in his story and the tension in the crowd. This is important. Paul is telling them, I was on my way to Damascus to arrest believers in Jesus. I had written permission from you guys to go to Damascus and pull people out of their homes and throw them in jail for believing in Jesus. That's who Saul, he was Saul at the time. That's who Saul was. He was an overeducated Jewish man who was passionate to do what God wanted him to do, but he was twisted in his thinking and he didn't have a revelation of Jesus. But boy, he had a lot of passion, enough to run up in your house, put some handcuffs on you, and bring you to jail just because you decided to follow Jesus. And so he's telling them this story, and you, want, you got to listen to the story because it should be, it should be messing with the Jews that want to kill him right now. Paul says in verse 8, who are you, Lord? I asked, and the voice replied, watch this. Paul's telling the story, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. Now, it hasn't been long, well, it has been a while since, they, since Jesus was crucified, but they had a major issue with Jesus. They had a major issue with Jesus being resurrected. There was a lot of conspiracy theories about Jesus being resurrected. Oh, they took his body. Oh, they, they did this. Oh, they did that. All these other things. Jesus was a no-no to the Jews because they didn't accept him as Messiah. And so Paul's telling them that I was on the road to do what you told me to do, and I met Jesus. And they don't even have an issue with that. They don't have an issue with that. They're not saying a word. They're still listening. It's interesting. And not only that, but Jesus then tells him what to do next. And so Paul finds himself in a building, blind by the light. And the Lord now has to send one of his servants to go and deliver a message to Paul. You, you tracking with me? So it's a little bit technical, but just track with me. Paul's telling a story. The crowd's trying to arrest him. He gets a chance to speak. He's telling his story. 
Verse 14. So Ananias is sent by God to come and speak to Paul and deliver a message and to help him, to which there was a struggle. Ananias was like, Lord, you tripping. That dude's been arresting people. Like, I ain't going to help him. Anybody ever felt that way? They hurt me. I ain't helping them. They hurt me. I ain't touching. Uh-uh. They get it for themselves. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all still got a little gangsta in you. Still a little vicious. Verse 14. And Ananias told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. Three very important things. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What, you are, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Paul is telling the Jews this story. Everything that he's saying that happened to him goes straight up against what they believe. Listen to what he said. Ananias comes in and he says, the God of our ancestors has chosen you, watch this, to know his will. That's a word for you today, to know his will and to see the righteous one, that's Jesus, and to hear him speak. That's a word for you today. Know his will, see Jesus, and hear him speak. That's available for every believer on the planet, period. He wants you to know his will, to see his face, and to hear his voice. What are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So Ananias gives Paul six very significant things. It's just worth unpacking real quick. Number one, know his will. Number two, see the righteous one, Jesus. Number three, hear him speak. Number four, watch this, tell everyone what you've heard and seen. What's he doing in that moment? (laughs) Telling everyone what he's heard and seen. What should you do today and tomorrow whenever you get out of church? Tell everyone what you've heard and seen. Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on Jesus. And once again, no response from the Jewish folks. What you think would be offending the Jews right now is not offending them at all. It's interesting. They're still listening. Verse 17. After that moment, I returned to Jerusalem. I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. Verse 19. Anybody ever argue with the Lord? But Lord, I argued. They certainly know that I, in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. 
Now, this is really, really interesting because Paul goes into the temple. As he's praying, he falls into a trance. He sees Jesus, which Ananias just told him he needed to do. He sees Jesus, and Jesus speaks directly to him. And what does he say? Hurry up and get out of here. These people will not receive your testimony about me. And Paul disagreed. Do you ever disagree with God? <laughs> Have you ever not liked what he said? Have you ever read your Bible and went, uh-uh? I don't know about that. Paul disagreed. And he starts to argue. Now, this is interesting. Paul believes in this moment that he's the most qualified to stay in Jerusalem. According to his understanding and his, his perspective, he's the perfect person to stay in Jerusalem because he was a Jew of all Jews. He was the Hebrew of all Hebrews. Like if anybody's going, if any of these people are going to listen to somebody, they're going to listen to me. That's what he's pleading. Like, I'm really familiar with these people. I'm really familiar with this crowd. I'm really familiar with this environment. So I need to be here. I need to be here, he says. That's what he believes. Some of you have convinced your way out of obedience to God. Some of you have convinced yourself not to do what God told you to do the last time he told you to do something. If that wasn't the case, I wouldn't be preaching this message today. It would have been a different one. <laughs> so he argues his case. I'm the man for Jerusalem. I'm the man for Jerusalem. Paul wanted to stay, but Jesus wanted him to go. My friends, this is the line in the sand. He drew the line in the sand. Jesus said, hurry up and leave. I want to send you over here. These people won't receive you. Line in the sand. Paul, but Lord, I'm the man for this job. I belong here. This is my people. I'm comfortable with my people. This environment's good. I'm not afraid to be with these people. Like, ah, nah, nah, and on and on and on, right? And so he's standing on this, line of the, on this side of the line, and, and Jesus is on the other side going, you coming or not? You coming or not? I want you to notice that, that Jesus didn't have a problem with Paul arguing. That's for all you people that love to argue. You don't have to stop arguing. This is as long as when you're done arguing, you just shut up and listen. <laughs> That's all you need to do. You can argue till you're blue in the face. That's fine, but are you going to listen? She was quiet. <laughs> Y'all listening. <laughs> Paul really believes this is where he needs to be. Anybody ever felt that way? He really believes this is what he needs to be doing. In Paul's mind, everything makes sense for him to stay in Jerusalem. 
All the pieces fit together just right. How could he be wrong? How many of you, when you're faced with a decision, got to have to see kind of all the pieces come together before you'll move? Let's just get real honest. My hand's up. I'm a guy that I like to see the pieces, at least some pieces. Like, give me, can I get two pieces? Can I get a four piece? No, I'm just, like, I need to see something. That's my natural want to. But I've learned over the years that when God says to do it, I can argue, we can debate, he'll talk to me about it, but am I going to do it? After all this arguing and debating, Jesus has one response, verse 21. But. How many of you know there's good buts and bad buts in the Bible? You just better make sure you have your butt in the Bible. That <laughs> was a piece. It just made sense. It just, it, I guess it didn't. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, this one verse in itself is super important. Jesus' response to Paul's argument and his debating was but. How many of you remember your parents listening to you argue, listening to you trying to convince them why you didn't need to go to school today or why you didn't need to take out the trash or why you didn't need to take out or clean your room? How many of you remember that? We got some teenagers in here. They know it right now, right? You were trying to convince your parents why you didn't need to do that. It might have been going to church this morning. I don't know. And then your parents look at you and said, but... I hear you, but that's a big but right there. Jesus listened to him. You got to get this today. Jesus listened to him. He let him speak. It's important. It's important. Why is it important for for Jesus to let Paul speak? You got to grab this today. Because Paul not only needed to hear himself talk, But Paul needed to wrestle that out with Jesus. You see, it's really good when you say your excuses out loud. Because you get to hear them. Jesus cared enough about Paul to listen to him. Go ahead. Say it. Get it out. But. Jesus knew where he was coming from. Jesus understood why he would say that. The but in this verse to me represents, but you don't know what I know. I hear you. I understand where you're coming from. I know why you would think that way, but you don't know what I know. But you don't know what I know. I know your whole story to the very end. You only know today and you're assuming about tomorrow. You know your past. But I know what lies before you. 
I know what's on the other side of this line. Jesus is saying to Paul, you don't fully understand your life's purpose. You may be, you, <laughs> Paul, you may be settling for something that you think is good, but I got something that's better. It's better to follow me than to do what you can reason and make sense of in your mind. It's better to come with me than to sit there in comfort and no fear and all these other things and just sit there in a familiar place. It's better to come with me than to stay there. How do I know that? Because I know everything. And you don't. How many of us are settling? We're settling for comfort, familiarity. We're settling for safety, or what we think is safety. Paul's not even thinking that if he stays there, because you see, Paul doesn't even realize what really happened to him. He doesn't even realize that, that because Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and changed his life forever and gave him a purpose and a mission that he couldn't go back to what was familiar because he wasn't familiar anymore. He went from spiritual death into spiritual life. He's not the same guy. But he don't fully understand that yet. You may be saying that because you're afraid of the unknown, but go. And the word go in this, this verse represents to me, trust me and do what I say. Trust me and do what I say. But means I hear you, but you don't know what I know. Go means you're going to have to trust me and do it anyway. How many Christians are blocked up right there today? How many of us in this room? I can't speak to the world, but I can speak to this room. And I'm, I'm saying this as a pastor trying to pull you out of a ditch. How many of you are in this room today? No show of hands, but how many of you are sitting in that space between but and go? You've, you've argued, you've debated, you've reasoned in your mind. All that you want to do makes sense. All that God wants to do doesn't make any sense. So you're torn and you're sitting here between but and go. You're going to have to get real honest with yourself because, because your purpose is not here. Your purpose is in there. When Jesus said to Paul, go, he was telling Paul, my plans for you do not include you staying here. My plans do not include you 
staying stuck. My plans, oh, it does not include you always being comfortable. My plans don't include you having a suffer-free life. My plans don't include you not ever going through trouble. But it seems like we've been on this quest, this mission, to find the sweet spot in life where I can stay saved but stay obedient. Stay disobedient. I can stay saved, but I don't want to follow Jesus because when I do, it's going to cost me something. That's like standing in the welfare line. I want salvation. I want what you got to offer me, but I don't want to do nothing for it, and I don't want to do nothing because of it. You're sitting there in a comfortable place. Not wanting to move, not wanting to change, not wanting to get uncomfortable. The Holy Ghost is speaking to you today. If your heart's open, he's speaking to you right now, I'm telling you. He told me that this morning. I'm going to speak to their hearts today like never before. So you better get your heart right and get your heart ready because I'm telling you, he's speaking. This is your message. It ain't ain't a message for somebody else. It's a message for you. You're sitting in between butt and go, and it's not a good place to be. Let me show you why. Why? Jesus puts some pressure on what he tells Paul. He uses the word in verse 20, verse 18, hurry. Hurry. Hurry says, I know the time frame. Hurry says, I know what's getting ready to shift, shake, and move. Hurry says, I got a mission for you, and the plans that I have for you are time sensitive. It's not often that Jesus says hurry, but listen to me. When he says to hurry, you better hurry. He's telling Paul, you cannot stay here. Hurry and go. What does that mean for us? You got to hurry and make your mind up. Ah. But what if it's not the Lord? I don't know. What if it's not the Lord? I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know. What if it's not Jesus? Oh, my God. What if it's not Jesus? I'm afraid to make a mistake. Make a mistake doing something. Don't make a mistake doing nothing. He speaks to us. That's a promise for us. Sit still long enough and get a word from him. That's your responsibility. But, but I, can't, I can't hear him. I can't hear him, Pastor. Like I, my, I just I don't hear nothing. I just hear, I hear the air conditioner running. He spoke here too. He spoke here too. In fact, anything that you'll hear with your ears, you'll also hear it with your eyes. Hurry. Hurry doesn't mean to jump out the car while it's moving. Let me clarify. I feel like I just need to clarify for a second. Hurry doesn't mean just to take off like a lunatic running in some direction. I'm not saying that. 
When I'm saying what I just said about it's better to make a mistake doing something than to make a mistake doing nothing, that means you need to get up on your knees and you need to put your face on the ground before Jesus and you need to hurry up and get yourself a word and you need to hurry up and deal with what's in your heart. I'm not saying run out the truck, out the church and do something crazy. Does that make sense? I'm saying you need to have some intentionality about what you're doing. If your heart's not positioned and ready to hear from God, you'll never hear from God. If, you're, if your life's too busy and it's overscheduled, you'll never hear from God. He'll have to slap you across the head to get your attention. The urgency is to get what he has for you and go. Go. Maybe you just need more faith. Where does faith come from? This is your fountain of faith. (laughs) Drink from it. When I'm faced with a tough decision and I'm wrestling inside and I'm standing between butt and go and I don't know what to do, I grab my Bible and I just start reading. It don't matter where I'm reading. Every word in this book will give you faith. Every word in this book will stir your faith. Just start reading. Start reading till something inside of you starts to change. But that's your responsibility. I feel some stuff. A little resistance. But means you don't know what I know. Go means trust me and do what I say. Here's what's interesting. From my experience with God and my experience in doing what he tells me to do, in my experience, it's being in a place between but and go, in my experience, I don't usually get the why I'm going until I get going. You see, because God wants you to trust him without the whole story. He wants you to trust him without the, all the pieces. You remember Abraham? Get up and go. Like, which way? I'll tell you, as soon as you get moving. It's harder to steer a car that's parked than to steer one that's moving. We usually don't know what we're going for until we get going. You see, I'm, we're going to have to wrestle this out a little bit. Paul was an intellectual. Paul was highly trained, highly educated. He was a guy that he was passionate about his education. He was passionate about, he believed in what he learned. He believed in what he knew. He was, it, was his, it was his strength. It was, it was a thing for him. It was, he had some pride in it. Come on, somebody. He was, an, he was highly intellectual. When he made decisions, they were calculated. Just because he's intellectual and just because he makes calculated decisions does not mean that he's in the will of God. Because Peter was not intellectual. (laughs) Peter had a degree in fishing. 
Come on, somebody. This is, this is good news for me. Peter just did stuff. Can I walk on water? Skadoosh. He walked as far as his faith would let him walk. The point in which you move from being stuck between but and go and you cross the line into go is the point of your life that requires faith. It requires faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Which means this, that if you're ever going to please God, you're going to have to do something that requires faith. It doesn't take faith to stay on this side. It doesn't take faith to stay comfortable. You don't need any faith to stay complacent. You don't need faith to stay in fear. All those things happen naturally. You need no faith for that. You need faith to get out of that. It takes faith to do what God's telling you to do. In Hebrews, it's not in your notes. Hebrews chapter 12. I think it's 12. Or is it 11? Chapter of faith. 11. Yeah. Chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Just, just write it down. You can go check me out later. And if, if you don't believe me or you dis, disagree, you can call me. Verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of what we cannot see. If you can see it, it don't require faith. If you can't see it and you step into it, it took some faith. But Paul was struggling. And he's telling this story as they're wanting to arrest him and kill him. And Paul's struggling at that point in his story. And he's Paul obeyed the law to the smallest detail. For him to step across the line that Jesus drew in front of him and to leave Jerusalem and go to wherever he would tell him to go, it was going to require him to admit that he was wrong. It was going to require him to to show himself wrong. You know what the hardest thing for me to do is? Admit when I'm wrong. Anybody else? Come on, somebody. Like sometimes it's hard to apologize with a sincere heart. I know I was wrong. They know I was wrong. But like if it gets out of my mouth, what's up with that? Right? It's like can we just keep it on the down low? Like nobody needs to know I was wrong because I put too much value in being right all the time. Last time I checked, nobody's right all the time. For Paul to go into that, 
meant that what he was so passionate about was wrong. Or it was done. Or his time was up. Paul had another issue with the assignment. Not only did he not want to leave Jerusalem, Paul didn't want to go to the Gentiles. So here's his issue. He didn't want to leave Jerusalem, thought he was the most qualified person for that job, but he didn't want to go to the Gentiles. Remember what Jesus just told him. He says to him, but the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now this is important. Paul had an issue with the Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles didn't like each other very much. But it may not be what we thought it was. It may not be as bad as we thought it was. A Gentile could become a Jew. They would allow a Gentile to become a Jew. But that Gentile had to get circumcised no matter what age he was. Can I hear ouch? He had to be circumcised and then he had to obey the laws of Moses to become a Jew. So he couldn't come into the temple. A Gentile couldn't come into the temple. He couldn't worship God. As far as the Jews were concerned, they couldn't have anything to do with God unless they were circumcised and followed the law. That's interesting. Paul, being the high intellectual that he was, knew the law forwards and backwards and obeyed every detail of it. So for Jesus to tell Paul to leave Jerusalem and then go to the Gentiles was like a demotion. It was like he was getting punished. Are you kidding me? To them? What are my people going to say about me? What are people going to think about me? This is a very big line in the sand, by the way. Remember, Paul's telling his story. He's under arrest. The crowd is trying to kill him. He finally gets their attention, and he's sharing his story. And all of it's coming together at this big old line in the sand. Jesus drew the line for Paul and told him to cross it. Jesus knew what was ahead of Paul, but Paul didn't. So Paul wakes up from the trance with a decision to make. Will I trust Jesus or will I not? Some of you today are faced with that decision right now. Will I trust Jesus or will I not? My encouragement to you, surrender to Jesus. Surrender. Surrender to Jesus. We know what Paul does. Paul crosses the line. And when he does, he would soon learn that there's more lines as he goes along. You see, I believe the natural tendency of humanity is to find a sweet spot and stop. Oh, this feels good. Catch my breath. My favorite place is in the mountains in a log cabin 
and the humidity's just right, and the coffee's brewing, and the porch got a nice swing on it. Come on, somebody. And there's no cell service. What? Disconnected in nature with some good air. I can breathe. Not like this morning. Let me show you the time frame real quick because this is important too. So from when the Damascus Road happened, when, when Paul was knocked down and the light shined and he was blinded and put into a room, they had to help him get to a building, then Ananias comes and tells Paul all those things. From that point until Paul goes to Jerusalem the first time was a period of two to three years. The time frame is going to be important for you. You're going to have to see this. Paul made the decision in the story on the front end of his, of his mission, on the front end of his journey. Not the first day, but on the front end. This is important. So from the time he meets Jesus on Damascus Road until the time he gets to Jerusalem for the first time and he goes into the trance is a period of two to three years. Then from the moment he crosses the line in the sand... And he goes to the Gentiles and hurries out of Jerusalem to when he comes back this time is a period of 20 years. So when he's in the trance, in the temple worshiping, and he's in the trance, and he hears all this from God, he comes out of the trance, and he has a decision to make. From that point till he steps back into Jerusalem again is a period of 20 years. This is important. Because the Paul that walked out of Jerusalem was not the same Paul that walked back into Jerusalem. The Paul that was in Jerusalem when he came out of the trance was not ready to tackle Jerusalem. But Lord help him, the Paul that traveled with Jesus for 20 years and crossed line after line after line after line came back a man ready to not only take on Jerusalem, but then to move on to Rome. He wasn't the same man. He thought he was ready for that. Jesus said, you're not ready for that, Paul. If you stay in Jerusalem now, Jerusalem's going to get back on you. You know, it's funny, though. I bet for Paul... That first line in the sand was a doozy. You know what a doozy is? It's just a big deal. <laughs> I thought I had some kind of deep definition of that. <laughs> it's a doozy. Might even be a, something you eat. I don't know. It would be like, yeah, like an ice cream sandwich or something, right? Anybody hungry yet? The first, the first line was a doozy, man. It's like jumping off the diving board for the first time. It's like you don't know what's going to happen when you hit the water. Until you jump off and hit the water and you don't die. And you go, oh, this was fun. I'll do it again. The first one was a doozy. Not to say the rest of them got a whole lot easier. But as he crossed lines and as he obeyed Jesus, his faith grew. His trust grew. His testimony grew. His story grew. His courage grew. His boldness grew. His anointing grew. 
his ability for God to use him grew. Everything happened when he crossed that first line. Everything started to change. Everything started to get in motion. His journey had begun. He was doing, he was staying in the will of God. If you'll stay in the will of God, he'll do more than you can even imagine. What's funny is that when Paul was arguing with Jesus, he was confident that he was this and that. But it wasn't until he was on the road with Jesus that he realized he wasn't all this and that. Because if you'll study Paul and you'll follow his writings, you'll realize as he goes with Jesus, he realizes more and more what he doesn't have and what Jesus has. He realizes more and more, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. In fact, I ain't even a bag. I ain't even a chip. I'm not even a crumb in the bag. But Jesus is, and if I'll stay next to Jesus, people might think I'm something even though I'm nothing and I realize I'm nothing because I'm with Jesus. The more he walked with Jesus, the less he became. Read his, read his writings, read his letters. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Most of his ministry comes out of prison. Verse 21, but the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles, exclamation mark. Verse 22 is so, it's a big verse. Watch these words carefully. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. That word. It doesn't say that. The crowd listened until Paul said all those words. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. You see, that day, as Paul's telling his story, and he's about to be, he's about to be thrown in prison, Jesus draws a line in the sand for the Jewish people once again. God had been doing this for years on top of years. And Paul's sharing his story. Jesus said to go to the Gentiles and the crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, throw. They yelled, threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. All signs that we're done with this. I'm not listening anymore. I'm finished. I'm done with this. I'm done. Until he said, they listened until he said Gentiles. <sighs> pay attention. I'm, I'm trying to get to the end, but pay attention. Why the Gentiles? Why did they lose their stuff when he said Gentiles? Why is that? Why did they not lose their stuff when he first said Jesus' name? Why did they not... Quit listening whenever he said he needed to be baptized. 
and, and, and Jesus to forgive him of his sins. Why didn't they lose it then? Why did they lose it when he said Gentiles? Because when Paul said Gentiles, when Paul said that Jesus sent me to the Gentiles, it came against everything that they believed. It meant that people could have a relationship with Jesus without following all these rules and regulations. You don't have to lose any skin and you don't have to follow all these rules to be in a relationship with Jesus. Admit this to the Jews that now God all of a sudden is bypassing us and, and has a direct connection with people. Their Jewish system was wrong. Do X, Y, and Z, and then you can come to God. Wrong. You gotta be able to see God's heart in all of this. I'm telling you today, you gotta see his heart. God sent Paul on a mission to Gentiles and then brought him back to Jerusalem to tell the people in, Ju in Jerusalem that, 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 that God has created a way for us to be in connection with him without these rules and regulations. It's by faith through grace. For them to agree with Paul and to keep listening was for them to admit that they were wrong. Their Jewish system was wrong. Watch this. Their Jewish thinking was wrong. I wonder what's the correlation between the Jewish mindset and our mindset. I wonder where the connection is with the Jewish mindset and ours going, well, I'm just, I really believe I need to do this and I need to stay here and I need to go there. This is familiar. I'm educated for this. This is part of my purpose. This is my plan. This is what I feel right to do. What if your, your reasoning and your thinking is no better than the Jewish mindset? Because here was the issue. When Paul had the line drawn on the sand, what was the real issue? His will for his life was being crossed by God's will for his life. And he didn't like that, and we don't like that. What was the issue with the Jewish people? Their will was being crossed by God's will. You can get on board, or you can get left behind. What's our issue? Our will being crossed by God's will. He'll listen to you. He'll let you argue till you're blue in the face. And he's probably going to give you a but and a go. But go. Are you going to do it? I hear you, but are you going to do it? Because if you're not going to do it, then I'm going to have to get somebody else to do it. Here was the questions that I believe were going through their minds, some of them, and maybe even in God's mind. Could their hearts be open to accept the plan of God or not? 
could they deal with being faced with having to admit that they were wrong? Could they let go of control? Could they change their mind and humble themselves? And could they handle the change? So what do we do when God wants something for us that we don't want? What do we do when his will crosses my will? This is an honest question. What do I do when I don't want to do God's will? That's real. That's raw. What do I do when I don't want to do it? When he commands you to forgive somebody who hurts you, what do you do when you don't want to do that? When he tells us to make allowance for each other's faults, but you're just irritated by certain people, what if I don't want to do that? What if he's telling us to humble ourselves and confess our sin one to another so that we can be healed? I don't want to do that. What do we do? But do. Two verses for you, and then I'm going to wrap this up. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus gave us a prayer. The disciples asked him a very honest question. How do we pray, Lord? So Jesus gave us the model of prayer, right? How many of you know the Our Father prayer, right? Have you ever thought about the Our Father prayer? What does the Our Father prayer mean? It's a structure. It's the framework to which we should pray. It, it, it's a framework to give us the right attitude when we pray, the right perspective when we pray, to pray the right way. Watch it. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Here it is. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The framework for that prayer tells us that we need to posture ourselves in according to God's will. We need to take his side. Because it's really hard to do his will if you're not even asking him for his will to be done. Come on. I know I'm going long, but just stay with me. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of my newest prayers is, Lord, when I pray through this, I go, Lord, I pray that your will is done on this earth as it is in heaven in my life. Not in T-Boy's life, not in Cheryl's life, not in all my kids' life. I do pray for that, but I pray for me first. Why? Because the attitude of the prayer is teaching me that I need to expect God's will to be done in my own life. And when I pray that way, I posture myself. My heart's now in position that when my will and his will is crossed, I'm more likely to cross the line in the sand instead of sitting back here dumbfounded. Does that make sense? 
Romans 12, 2. One of my life verses. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, when he can change your mind, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's filet mignon right there, y'all. In other words, your focus doesn't need to be, do I look cool enough? Am I fitting into the world? Am I taking on the world standards so I can be a Christian saved but not be an outcast on the planet? Can I be all that? He's saying, don't even focus on the world. So what if you're not cool? It's better to be cool in heaven <laughs> than to be hot in hell. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Do not copy them, the customs and the behaviors. Does this not apply to the Jewish laws and rituals for Paul? Paul wrote this. But let God transform you by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. What is his will for your life? It's good. It's pleasing. And it's perfect. What does that say about your will? Not good, displeasing, imperfect. So what do we do? I've been wrestling with the message for four days. I preach it to myself probably 15 to 20 times. I've had to deal with this for four days. What are you going to do now? I still have areas in my life that I don't want to. I still got some don't want to's. I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected. I've never once decided to do what God wanted me to do instead of what I wanted to do and regretted it. I never once regretted obeying God. I can't give you one simple time, not one example of when I obeyed God and I wish I'd have never done it. I got plenty of stories if they were hard. It was painful. Just to move from Franklin to here almost killed me. My family rejected me. My best friend told me I was an idiot. I'm sure glad I listened to God. I'm sure glad I didn't listen to them. I don't regret making that decision. But I wasn't sure about that at the beginning. your Bibles and just leave your stuff on your lap or whatever you want to do. Don't start putting it in your bags and all that. That gets distracted. We're going to pray. <clears throat> but this ain't just some prayer to end the service. I really feel that while we're in this atmosphere and we're in this, this place all together and the spirit of Jesus is here, 
that this is the moment to make some decisions. This is some moment. This is the moment right now. Some of you are wrestling with, do I give my life to Jesus or not? Some of you are on the very front end of it all, wrestling with, can I let go of my life? Can I follow Jesus? Am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to accept what it costs? And others of you are at just another line in the sand in your life and you're you're sitting here and you just going, man, I don't know. Maybe you're confused. The confusion doesn't come from the Lord. What do I do? Do I go and forgive that person and then ask them to forgive me? Do I step into this area of ministry that I'm just not real familiar with? Can I leave a comfortable place? For some of you, it's, it's can I leave the world and be dedicated to the kingdom? For some of you, it's can I go all out for Jesus? What does that look like? I'm afraid of what that's going to look like. of you, it's, can I submit to that? What, you, what you're really saying is, can I submit to the Lordship of Jesus? That He knows what's best for my life, and I don't. Can I submit to that? Can I let go of control? Can I admit that I was wrong? confess my failures this is where I'm trusting the Holy Spirit right now so Holy Spirit I just invite you to move throughout this room speak to every person in this room this morning them into life. Call them out of fear. Call them out of complacency and comfort. Call them into the unknown. Holy Spirit, move right now in this room, please. Move in the hearts of your people. Move in my heart. I'm not exempt from this message. Speak to us today. Speak to us today, Lord.
Tell us what's next. It's different for every one of us. That's what's so awesome about the Holy Spirit. It's that He knows exactly what's for you. activated today, that faith is, is what erupts heaven right now, that, that in this room right now, that faith is just starting to, to just be activated and that people are going, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, and it's pleasing you, Father. So help us today. Some of us are sitting between button and go. I pray we go. I pray we go. I say let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go see what's on the other side. Let's go. Let's go see something about Jesus we've never seen before. Let's go see his power. Let's go see his grace. Let's go see his mercy. Let's go see his strong hand and his deep love. Let's go see it. right now, your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You say, man, I don't, I don't even know, like, what am I supposed to do next? I don't know if I even have a relationship with Jesus. And, and man, listen, we're excited if, you, if that's you. We're really excited if that's you. Because I want to give you a moment right now. If you've never given your life to Jesus, and if you died today, you don't know where you would go, heaven or hell, unsure, you can make a decision today. The Bible says that you can be born again and you can be given a new life. So I want to help you with that today. Nobody looking around. If that's you, you say, man, I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. Whatever it is, if that's you, just raise your hand real quick. Raise your hand. One, two, Three, come on, praise God, you can put them down. I'm going to help you with a prayer, but just know that in your heart, you just made a decision to give your life to Jesus, and to let him have control. So let's pray this together this morning. Jesus. I give you my life today. I accept that you are Lord and I'm not. In fact, I need you to lead my life. I've not done a good job. 
of sin. But I know that on the cross, when you shed your blood, you washed away my sin. I receive that and I believe that. I also believe that God raised you from the grave and you're alive, sitting at his right hand. And I can be in a relationship with you every day, all day. I want to make a confession. Jesus, you're my Lord now. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we